This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. I'm going to just jump right in, and we've had kind of themes each week, and the theme for this week is called The Kingdom is Near. And there's this incredible verse in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, and it's really when Jesus began his ministry, and this is what he said. He says, from, the time, uh, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Say near. Do you guys remember Grover? Deanna, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. No, 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 that was in my earlier, more immature days. I have grown up since then. So for those that don't know, we started our, ser- our, our church services in the Cineplex, and one day I was trying to get this point across to the church about how you need to go as far away from sin as possible, and the only thought that hit me in the moment was Grover. And so I beelined it back, back and forth across the front of the stage, doing the whole, <laughs> near? Remember that? <laughs> Far! You know, and just kept running back and forth, running back and forth. And you know what's so cool? Is that no one forgot it. Everyone remembers. But when Jesus showed up, he did his best Grover impression. Except he ran to them, not away from them. And he said, the kingdom is near. Amen? I love diving into the Bible in the the original languages. And and when you actually dive into this word, the Greek word that's translated near, there is a nugget here that is so cool. I, I, I literally, I had all of this message prepared literally for three months. And I changed half of it in the last three days. Because I saw something I didn't see. So, the word near means to bring near, or, here's the second part, to join one thing to another. To join one thing to another. And I, as soon as I read that, I'm like, okay, what was Jesus talking about then? What, what had been separated that Jesus was keenly trying to, intentionally trying to join back together? And the answer to that question is actually found in the first three chapters of the Bible, all the way back in Genesis. What did Adam and Eve lose in the garden as a result of sin? And the quickest answer to that is the difference between Genesis 3, verse 8, and Genesis 3, verse 23. In Genesis 3, verse 8, they were walking in the garden of God, in the very presence of God, as it it describes, in the very cool of the day. Everywhere they went, Jesus, the presence of God, was with them. Verse 23, sin separates. And for the first time in their existence, in their history of their lives, they were no longer in the presence of God. They were literally kicked out of the Garden of Eden. So God had a plan. (laughs) God had a plan, this brilliant plan... To be among his people again. And in the Old Testament, the plan was for them to build something called a tabernacle. 
you want more information about it, you can look at it in Exodus chapter 40. But there's, there's this idea of this tabernacle that is built that can house the presence of God. The problem with this was that there was only a select few people that had direct access to the presence of God. So I want to read Matthew 4.17 again, but in a completely different version. And I want you to see what it talks about. It's in the Passion Translation. It says this. From that time on, Jesus began to proclaim his message with these words. Keep turning away from your sins and come back to God. For heaven's kingdom realm is now accessible. So what had been partitioned off to them in the Old Testament. Now when Jesus died, the veil, it says, was rent, was tore in two from the top down, from heaven to earth, so that the presence of God is now made available to us. So Jesus came. What was he joining together? He was joining God's presence and God's people together again. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 6 to 11, it says this, So we praise God for the glorious grace He has poured out on us who belong to His dear Son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave our sins. Verse 8. He has showered His kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us His mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill His own good plan, which is that eternal purpose of God. Verse 10, and this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together. When he said, I have come near, he's saying, I'm bringing the two most important pieces of my life together. My father's presence and my spiritual kids. Under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we've received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. I'm so grateful that this is true for us today as it's ever been. You have to understand that at the very core of God's heart for his spiritual kids is that we would literally be a conduit of God's presence everywhere we go. So that there are literally many Christs everywhere. Now, if the stats that I shared a couple weeks ago are true, I don't know how accurate they are, but 2.2 billion people profess to be a follower of Christ on the earth. Whether that's true or not, I'm not sure. I'd probably go a little lower. But let's just say there's one billion. That means one out of every seven and a half people have got light of Christ shining out of them. We tried something last night. We were having some fun with some different lights and we're trying some kind of fun things. And one of the things that I I remember when we first moved into the Cineplex, we got these spotlights. I don't know if you guys remember them. Any worship team, Lisa, you remember worship team? We'd be up there, and we're just thankful that there were people out there because we couldn't see anyone. And you know what I realized is one spotlight could light up the entire theater. That's who you are. You're the spotlight of the kingdom. And wherever you go, you can blind people with the presence of God. 
How do I know? Well, Acts chapter 9, that happened to Saul. Boom! God, where'd you go? We need to be, spiritually speaking, in the blinding business. (laughs) So that people will no longer see it of their natural eyes, but see through the presence of God as their filter. That's the heart of God. Ephesians chapter 2. I got so many verses today, I'm going to just be basically letting the Bible just declare what it already says. It says, in those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But here's the key. Verse 13. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Why? Because he's bringing the two things together. Once you were away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. So I'm going to talk today about something that's a little odd. It's a lot of prophetic kind of imagery and symbolism, but I'm going to do my best to explain it to you this morning because it is so profound. First key thought today is that Jesus is the tabernacle. In other words, Jesus is the very presence of God personified on the earth, okay? John chapter 1, verse 14. If you ever want to understand the most significant revelation of the story of the kingdom... The first 18 verses of John chapter 1 are a big win. You can camp in John chapter 1 and never get out of it, and you'll know everything about the kingdom of God because it's just all over it. But it says this, John chapter 1 verse 14, and the word became flesh. Who was that? Jesus. Sunday school answer. What's the answer, kids? Jesus. Great answer, guys. Woo! All right. All right. You're so smart. And the word became flesh and dwelt. Among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, here's where it gets really, really cool. If you look up the Greek word for dwelt, it literally means tabernacled. So, I'm going to literally say it the way it is actually written. And the word Jesus became flesh and tabernacled among us. In other words, Jesus was the Old Testament fulfillment of the old tabernacle where the presence of God dwelt. Jesus was God's presence personified. Jesus is God's presence in his very body. And Jesus is the one who fulfilled God's desire to live among his people. In the Old Testament, they didn't have direct access to the presence of God. It was behind the veil in the Holy of Holies. And only a high priest once a year could go in. Now they knew it was there. They understood that it was there. And at times there would be this overwhelming, literally description is this cloud of the Lord that would come upon it. So there was a tangible understanding that the presence of God, the very presence of God was there. But when Jesus was coming and he was born, The angels declared something that is so beautiful. They said, this is Emmanuel. God with us. It's changing the rules of the game. I love it. Ezekiel the prophet, who's, I don't know if you've ever read the book of Ezekiel. It takes uh, like at least five theologians with masters to actually interpret most of it. But every once in a while you can read something that's so clear you can't miss it. It's like my two favorite books in the Old Testament, Leviticus and Ezekiel, right? 
Leviticus just so inspiring. Like, I read it, and I want to serve Jesus better. I just, you know, that's how I feel. Um, Ezekiel chapter 37 says this, I will make an agreement of peace with them, an agreement that continues forever. I will put them in their land and make them grow in number. Then I will put my, ooh, another version says tabernacle, among them forever. This place where I live will be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. When my temple is among them forever, the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy. Well, we're the, if you can say it like this, we are the New Testament version of Israel. Right? But here's where it gets cool. What is the description of the church in the New Testament? We are the body of Christ. Jesus is the tabernacle, God's presence personified in his body while he was on earth. And now we are the body of Christ and are now the the living presence of God everywhere we go. Exodus chapter 19 says it like this, Now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth, for all the earth belongs to me. And here's what I want you to catch. And it says, you will be my kingdom of priests. Notice that it does not say a kingdom with priests. The heart of God, the plan of God was never to have a kingdom with priests. It was to have a kingdom of priests. That would be the very tabernacle of the presence of God and let the presence of God out wherever they go. So that the presence of God was with us, through us, around us, everywhere. That's his heart. First John, or sorry, First Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it says this. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his home. Oh. One of the greatest problems that I've seen in the last 30 to 40 years of Christian church existence is this idea that ministry is for the priests or the pastors or the leaders. Have you ever stumbled across that thought? And I remember when we first came to Oshawa Community Church, the church where we met and married and and had the privilege of serving in, I started to learn this idea that we're all ministers and we're all priests and we're all called to do whatever God has called us to do and we're all to extend the kingdom of God. And I was listening to Pastor Frank say this and going, but shouldn't that be you doing that? Why? Because I grew up in an environment where I was taught from a very young age that ministry is for the professionals. And then I look at Scripture and I go, how long did it take Paul before he was blinded and fell off the horse, before he was sharing the good news of the gospel. So the answer was, after 17 years of seminary, um, and, and after graduating from four different Bible colleges, then he was released by the Lord to, no, three days later is the answer. Three days. And some of us go, I don't know what to say. It's okay. Tell your story. What happens if they ask me a question that I don't have an answer to? Jesus does. What happens if I look like a fool? Jesus already did. 
And he came up with this brilliant idea that says the kingdom will make no sense to the smart people because it's for fools. And the only people that understand it are fools. And then I go, yay, I qualify. <laughs> yes, woo. I'm telling you, my greatest trait is that I'm, I'm like a child. And I just trust God. It's like, God says, do this. I'm like, okay, what next? I'll tell you when you get there. Okay, I don't overthink it. I'm like, God, you want me to talk to that person at Starbucks? Sounds good. What do you want me to say? And can I be honest with you today? Half the time I have no clue. And I sit down and I just want to hear their story. And as soon as I hear their story, about 30 seconds in, I'm like, oh, that's what you want me to say. Okay, I'll say that. It's like I have an anointing for Starbucks. I hate their tea. It's the worst tea in the world. But I go because it's like, that's my sweet spot. I don't know what it is. Starbucks and me get along. Tim Hortons, have, I've not had as many powerful moments at Tim Hortons. But at Starbucks, I'm like walking out almost every time in tears or something's going on. I'm like, What's the, what in the world, Lord? He says, Starbucks is your sweet spot, my friend. Okay, all right, we'll keep going back, all right. But what did he see? Prophetically, what did he see? 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race. Isn't it exciting to know that Jesus chose you? He could have picked everyone else, but he chose you. He didn't stop there. He said, you're a royal priesthood. Oh, you mean I'm, I'm a priest? Yeah. Do I get robes? No. You get Birkenstock sandals because that's what Jesus wore. Didn't you know that? Like, come on. You are God's own possession. Are you getting a picture of how the Father, the King of the kingdom, feels about you? So that you may do what? Proclaim the excellencies of the King. There's the kingdom series in a nutshell. Your identity is You're in the kingdom. You're a child of God. You're royal. You're chosen. He's got your back. Now what does he want you to do? Go tell of his excellencies. Go tell of the excellencies of the king. Why is this important? Thought two. The church is the tabernacle. Oh, that's cool. You know why we're the tabernacle? Because the moment we become a believer in Christ and we say yes and we bow our knee to Jesus, we are now in Christ. And if we are in Christ, we are the body of Christ. And if we're the body of Christ, now we are the literal tabernacle, the very presence of God wherever we go, as long as we let it out. So literally, we are a very house that is hosting the presence of God. Amen? I love what Ephesians 2 says in verse 19 to 22. It says this, Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. Ha! You are subjects and citizens of the kingdom. So you just wanted to establish it right away. Members of the household of God. You're part of the family. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone, which guarantees that the building's not going down, because if it's laying on him, it ain't going down. Trust me. In whom the whole building being fitted together, what? 
grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together. Built together. So he's taking this drawing in of two different things to a whole nother level. He's going, I'm not just kind of reconciling God's presence in God's people. Now I'm reconciling God's people to God's people. With God's presence. Well, that changes it. Think about this. Have you ever gone into an argument with someone where the presence of God was the only thing you wanted to be at work in the situation? Or has anyone in this room ever emotionally dealt with it? Came in with your emotions and your, your backup. So you have to understand, you want to know the greatest way to solve issues between people? First step, God, I invite your presence. God, give me your heart for this person. Help me to see this person the way you see them. Not my own filter, but your filter. Help me to see them that way. Because, Lord, we're in kingdom business, and the enemy's messing with us. And, and, and the only thing he's doing, Lord, is just distracting us from extending the kingdom of God. And, man, we're just giving in to the enemy every time we do this. So, God, give me your perspective on this situation, on this person. May your presence come. May your Holy Spirit speak. May we have wisdom from God and the courage to walk it out. In Jesus' name, amen. I guarantee if you thought that way, coming into a situation, you'd have a lot of friends <laughs> and a lot of people that are tracking with you, okay? So, look what the religious leaders of the day thought, and look what Jesus said to them. He said this in Luke chapter 17, verses 20 to 21. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Ooh, love that. God wants his church, the body of Christ, to be the dwelling place of God. Amen? So it leads us to our third thought. The church must honor the tabernacle. And I'm not talking about a physical building. What we're talking about is the church must honor the presence of God. And this is where Scott stole my notes. Thank you for that one. That was awesome. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, do you not know that you're the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Can I just stop there for a second, pause, and just get us to think about something? Could you imagine the different ways that we would make choices if that was the first thought we always thought of? Okay, Lord, before I make that choice, I am the temple of the Lord. I'm the temple of God's presence. And the Holy Spirit of God dwells in me. And so I get really, really simple in my mind, and I go like this. Holy Spirit, what do you think I should do? Usually rebutted by a very personal feeling in the back right-hand side of my brain going, but I don't want to do that. And then he goes, I thought we were in kingdom business together. And my answer is usually like this. Did Sandra talk to you again? <laughs> you did say you married up. But Lord, some days I don't want to marry that high up. You know, today I just want to be really ungodly. 
my son. You're better than that. No. Go find your wife. (sighs) Honey. Yeah. Read your journal books. Okay? I want you to read the stories of where God partnered with you in kingdom business, the ones you wrote down. Okay? Did he ever let you down? No. What's your problem? (laughs) I don't know if I can do it, Lord. But here's what I've learned. To the degree that we are aware that we are literally the dwelling place of the presence of God, it changes the choices we make. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. One of the biggest concerns that I have as a pastor, as a father, as a community person, a person that lives in our culture today, is what really bothers me in this culture today, is how we have taken every wrong decision that ultimately hurts a number of people and explained it away in some creative way. And the problem is, is the enemy has duped us into thinking that we don't have to consider the Holy Spirit who's actually indwelling us in that decision-making paradigm. We've got to consider him. 1 Corinthians 6, it says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You're not your own. You're not your own. For you were bought at a price. We sang about it this morning. We did communion about it this morning. You're bought at a price. Sacrificial love bought you back. So therefore glorify God in your body, in your spirit, which are God's. They're not yours. Our culture is teaching us it's your body, your this, your that. You have the right to do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. You can say whatever you want. You can post whatever you want. Hit send to anyone, everyone. And there's no consequences in my... And I look at that and I go, that's not scriptural. It's not. So what do we do with that? If our lives are not our own, the only thing we can do is say, Holy Spirit, come, move, speak to your people, speak through me, Lord, help me to be a conduit of your presence, amen? 2 Corinthians 6 says this, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For if you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and separate yourself from what? The world that is trying to convince you that you can do it on your own. That you're going to figure it out on your own. No, you don't. Trust me, I have been there. You don't figure it out on your own. I I feel to share this just because this is something that's been sticking in my head all week and I'm just going to trust it. I'm going to tell you a pattern of what I used to do. 20, 25 years ago, is I would stew on something and 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 stew on something, and and I would never share it. And you know what I realized one day? I wasn't in kingdom business because I was fighting this battle on my own. 
And I want to encourage you today. I feel like this is for somebody here today. Stop fighting the battle on your own. You have the presence of God within you. Partner up with the body of Christ. Partner up with Jesus himself. Partner up with the Holy Spirit. Partner up with the word of God. And fight it together. We are better together. We are kingdom business people that are working together. Amen. All right. Fourth thought is this. The Holy Spirit empowers the tabernacle. Oh, this is so cool. I'm going to fly through these verses, but I'm going to give you the references. Leviticus chapter 9, verses 23 to 24, it talks about the fire of God coming down when the tabernacle was basically erected, okay? 2 Chronicles 7, verses 1 to 3. When the temple was started, guess what happened? The fire of God came down. Okay? Acts chapter 2. They're in the upper room. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's coming. You won't know what he looks like, but trust me, you'll know when he shows up. Okay. They had nothing to go on. Guess what happened? Fire came down. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That's weird. Can we just be really honest? Come on. Like some of us is like, well, I'm supposed to be really churchy, right? Say, oh, bless God. That's absolutely, we just trust that. Can you imagine right now if we're sitting in this room and Rachel and the band are playing and then tongues of fire literally came through the roof and landed on your head and we're all looking at it going, that's cool. Mine's blue. What's yours? Orange. Mine's red. We're cool. Yay. And we start writing songs about the tongues of fire on our head and we start praying about the No. It was a prophetic fulfillment picture of every single pattern that happened throughout the entire Old Testament and it found its perfect fulfillment in Jesus Christ who John the Baptist declared in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17 that Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Why is it important? Because fire does two things. It empowers and it refines. Why is this important? Because the more we're refined, the more the kingdom comes out. The less we're refined, the less of the kingdom comes out. Why? Because there's too much of you in the way. It's as simple as that. Okay, moving right along. Great. Thank you, Jesus. All right. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of... Greek word dunamis. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It's the same word used in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which was Jesus telling the disciples what was going to happen when the Holy Spirit came upon them. He says, but you will receive power. Dunamis. It's the English word for dynamite. Have you ever seen something blow up, not just in the movies? All right. Okay. I'm not going to ask why or where. That's a story between you and the Lord, right? Pyromaniacs in this place, anyhow. All right. But why was this important? Because Jesus himself is saying, you cannot extend the kingdom, and you cannot expand the community of God without his fire, which is the Holy Spirit. You'll be able to do some stuff, sure, because, yeah, that's good. But he's designed it so that the Holy Spirit is the enabling, equipping, empowering force to expand the kingdom of God on earth. How many have ever tried to write an exam on two hours of sleep? 
Come on now. Come on, all you Queen students, be honest. Come on, can I get a witness on this side of the room? Okay, you know. I have, and can I tell you, I, didn't, I never did well. <laughs> I never did well. I looked at the marks and I went, that's not a good mark. I like marks that go up, not down. I like letters that are closer to the beginning of the alphabet, not closer to the end. I'm just saying. That's me. Maybe I'm weird. I don't know. That's just how I think. But you have to understand something. God is in the kingdom business, but he's given you a partner in the work. All right. And I'm going to end with a thought here. Verse 5. Or, sorry, point number 5. I'm just calling it everyone under heaven. If you go on in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Actually, I'm going to start with Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The second part, and it says, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the goal of the Holy Spirit's power is not just to have prayer meetings and roll down aisles like some charismatics love to do. All right, stepping on the charismatics toes there. The goal is to empower you to be witnesses. That's a good point. Acts chapter 2, I'm not going to read the first four verses again, but I want to land on verse 5 of Acts chapter 2. How many have ever read Acts chapter 2? We always read 1, 2, 3, and 4, and we skip 5. But it's got a cool little thought here. It says this, Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, from every nation under heaven. God's desire is to have a worldwide covenant community made in His image to rule with Him and to reign with Him. That's what His heart is. This is the fulfillment, the prophetic picture of the fulfillment of God's purpose. And this experience is available to everyone. Here's where I want to land. And I want you to get your phones out because you guys can take a picture of this. If you ever want a copy of my notes, feel free to email me. I'd love to send them to you. So I have a chart. Actually, can we show God's eternal purpose first there, uh, Elim? That would be awesome. Awesome. So if God desires, again, a worldwide covenant community made in his image to worship him and to reign with him. In other words, to extend the kingdom of God on the earth and to expand the covenant community on the earth. Okay. So here's this little chart. I'm going to explain it, and then we're going to end. We're going to pray. We're going to go, and we're going to have fun. And those that are coming to the pastor's potluck, I hope that you haven't eaten anything yet because you're going to eat a lot. All right. We're worldwide. What's that talking about? It's talking about kingdom territory. What's the part of God's revelation or what is God being revealed in this point? It's the vision of God. This is God's vision. Covenant is kingdom constitution. In other words, it's the values of God. It's how we live. It's how we think. It's how we breathe. Community is kingdom citizenship. It's the identity of God in our lives. Image is kingdom culture. The character of God in our lives, so that we talk like Him, think like Him, act like Him, breathe like Him, everything. Fifth one is this, we're to worship. It's talking about kingdom devotion. Who are we devoted to? It's talking about the faithfulness of God. We're to be faithful to Him because He's been faithful to us. We can love Him because He first loved us. And reign is talking about kingdom authority or the rule of God. So what does He want from us? When we think kingdom, he wants us to have the vision of God for our lives, not through our own lens, 
but through his mission lens. He wants us to have the values of God that are near and dear to our hearts. I can honestly say this. I can come to your house, have a dinner with you guys, have a chat for a couple hours after over tea and dessert, and by the end of that night, I have a pretty good idea of what are some of your core values. Just by being there. Just by listening to you. Just by seeing stuff. Kingdom citizenship is the identity. We're not working for identity. We're working from identity. Character of God is what is the Christ-likeness in us. We are to be faithful not just to the things of God, but also to the mission of God. And last but not least, He has called us to rule and to reign and to have dominion. That is the epitome of the kingdom of God. We are a worldwide covenant community made in His image to worship Him and to reign with Him. That's who we are. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.